All right, so Matthew, would you grab these back there in the back and make sure if everybody didn't get one, they should be right there on the table, I think. It would, it would really help if everyone had an outline and could follow along, and there should be pins somewhere nearby in your chair so you can follow along in the outline. You know, I've missed the last two Sundays, so I feel like I'm a little behind and out of sequence, but if you've missed, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer, or we could call it the Disciples' Prayer, and we've been going through line by line, phrase by phrase, trying to understand in Luke's Gospel, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. So it's a model prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer. Some say, no, the Lord's Prayer is in John, when the high priestly prayer. So this is the disciples' prayer, whatever you're most comfortable calling it. It's a pattern, a good pattern for daily prayer. Let me remind you that this really is a gospel-centered prayer, even though you don't see the cross mentioned specifically in the prayer. You certainly see the gospel throughout the prayer. We couldn't call him Father were it not for being born of the Spirit, our Father. In heaven, it speaks to his eternal nature. We would not have eternal life without the gospel. His name is holy. We could not talk about his holy name were it not for the gospel. Uh, we would not care about his kingdom or his will had he not transformed us from within by his spirit. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can trust him in a daily way to meet all of our needs. And so when we ask him to give us our daily bread, we're, we're speaking of the Father's daily provision in our life. Fresh mercy, fresh grace every day. And so now today, we come to forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, forgiveness is, is such a big thing. It, it's one of the few things that can totally destroy earth life and eternal life. For without forgiveness, there'll be no eternal life. And I've met people who were genuinely wronged, but because of the lack of forgiveness in their life, it was eating them up. I heard it said that bitterness is something that causes far more damage to the container than anything you could pour it on. It's like an acid when, it, when you hold it in your heart and it begins eating you up on the inside. And you're looking for the opportunity to pour it on the one that's wronged you. And yet, it eats you up from within. So when Jesus says that we are to forgive, today we're going to see if we can understand what he's talking about and how he ties together us asking God to forgive us and us forgiving others. So would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word now, we take it seriously. We know that you have given it to us even for a moment like this. We thank you that we each can have a copy of your word. And there's so many places that have never seen a Bible. So Lord, with a sense of stewardship and a sense of blessing, 
We open your word and ask you to speak to us now in a personal way. That's why we pray this simple prayer when we open your word. Father, speak to my heart. Can you pray that prayer out loud with me? Father, speak to my heart. And Lord, when you you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Forgive us. As I was reading some preparing for today, I, I read one article where a guy said, forgive us what? You know, depending on the way that you grew up, the particular church you might have attended, the place where you might have learned it, many of you learned this prayer from memory. And if we tried to quote it this morning, we would probably do okay till we got right down to this point. And we would say, forgive us, and there would be our trespasses, and there would be our debts, and there would be our sins. And, and it would just be like this, you know, almost cacophony. It, it wouldn't sound very good together. So what's the deal here? Uh, there are three different words that are used. You'll notice even here in, in I'm using the ESV, and you'll notice here where it says, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then you go down and below the prayer and you begin reading, Jesus repeats, which by the way, this is one of the few things he repeats again after the prayer. For if you forgive their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So even here in this text, we have three different words. So let's just observe those words and see if we can see a little bit about what they mean. I'm trying my best to resist preaching 25 different sermons this morning, okay? Because there's so many things when you pull on this, watching the root system go so many directions. But maybe you want to jot down those three words and you want to go home and look them up and you want to, you want to find ways to uh, meditate on them. If you've never discovered the Blue Letter Bible, I don't get paid anything for advertising it, but it's one of the simple t- simplest tools I know for you to look up this text, and on it, it will give you a way to do a word study, and you won't have to gather any other sites or any other books. You can just click right there. And so you can click on which word is used in which occasion. Three different words, debts, trespasses, sin. So what's going on with those three different words? Well, with debt, we kind of understand debt. I didn't get a chuckle, but uh, we kind of understand debt. You know, I mean, I mean, there are a lot, there's a lot of conversation about debt and about the overwhelming control of debt. I know how fearful we were when we first married that, that uh, we had heard all the stories of, of compounding interest in debt. And, and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you that, that God gave us a, a, such a holy consciousness of not going in debt that we refused to have a credit card that we didn't have to pay off every month. We just decided we couldn't afford to get in that hole and get out of it. And by the grace of God, we've never had ongoing debt in our lives. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But there are plenty of people who are looking even this morning to find different ways to refinance their debt because they can't make the payment. Now, in our culture, when we talk about debt, we know that it can compound and it can can become such a chokehold But in our culture, we've got this little trump card that we can play. It's called bankruptcy, right? And and people are looking for ways to uh, declare they'll never be able to pay their debt and start again. That was not true in Bible days. 
bankruptcy was not a thing to be considered. We don't know anything about debtor's prison. But it's been all the way back to then, all the way until now. You, if you could not pay your debt, then you had to go to jail. And I'm going, so how, how did that help? You know, I mean, you're in jail. How do you go to work? Well, if your family or somebody loves you, they're going to find a way to pay it to get you out. And if nobody loved you, I guess you were just stuck, you know, because you couldn't get out of debtor's prison. Debt, it's something that you owe. There's a lot to ponder there about what do we owe God? How have we wronged him in such a way that we have a debt before him? There's a moral debt and there's a spiritual debt. And we may get to come back to it, but let's move on. Second word, trespass. That's, That's a little easier for us to picture. Because of trespass, we, we know you put up a sign, no trespassing. And we know that there's a, a Bible word of transgression. And we, we kind of hear it in both of those where you, you cross a line. Now, because we're all sinners by nature and by choice, whenever you see a line that says, do not step on the grass, what do you do? You step on the grass with your big toe and look back and smile, right? Because you know that you want to test the limits. But when it comes to our relationship with God, he has given us certain boundaries and all of us sinners by nature and by choice have crossed that line and sins. The word sin is is a word that means to miss the mark. I remember the first time a word study on sin, it it was presented that it was a word used on a archery uh, set up where someone would shoot an arrow a long way off and someone would hide and come around the corner and look and see how they did hitting the mark. And they would yell, harmatia, which meant you missed the mark. That's the Greek word, that you can't get there on your own. You can't hit the bullseye. You can't even hit the, the target of any way because of our sinfulness. Three different words used here and used in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. So, We could try to go deeper on all those words, but let's just agree with this. In our observation, though there are three different words that mean that we're sinners, there's a clear expectation. What is that expectation? God forgives us, and we must forgive others. There's an expectation in the teaching of the prayer and the teaching that follows that as God is forgiving us, It is demonstrated through us and our desire to forgive others. Now, when you think about this, almost like a a scale or something in tension, you begin to think, so is forgiveness then a work required to be saved? Do I forgive so that I can get forgiven? Is Is that how this works? And I would remind you of what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says. Listen to it. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest any man should boast. And the next verse says, But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good work. We don't work to be saved, but there's a work that happens because we are saved. And then he even goes on to to say, as you turn to Philippians, it says, God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here's how you put together the forgive and forgive. As God is forgiving me, 
there's an expected course that that forgiveness will run. It will run into me and it will run through me to others. And there's also an expected warning. When I'm having trouble forgiving someone else, I have lost sight of God's forgiveness of me. Right about now, some of you may be saying, well, you just don't know how badly I was wrong. You just don't know how I was hurt. In this situation, it would probably be different. So I guess it's time to look at a parable. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a parable that Jesus tells. And even the context of this parable is pretty uh, instructive as we read that uh, Peter came to Jesus Aren't you glad Peter was around? Because he, I mean, he asked questions that we'd be thinking that nobody else had the courage to say. And so he walks up to Jesus and he says, okay, Lord, help me with this. Uh, if my brother sins against me, I, I know I'm to forgive him, but how, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Seven times? And, and what did Jesus say back to him? He said, I don't say to you seven times, but 70 times seven wow, I'm going to have to have a piece of paper and a calculator to keep up with that if I'm going to know how many times I'm going to have to forgive somebody. And, and Jesus probably looked and he saw, the, he saw the look in his eye and he said, well, the kingdom of God is like, and he tells a story. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I tried to find some uh, modern translations that explain to you what a, what a talent was financially. I do think there's at least one that talks about a number of bags of gold. I can't remember which translation that is. But 10,000 talents was equal to at least 20 years wages, okay? Take all of the daily wage and add it up to a year's wage and then add it up to 20 years, and that's the debt this guy owed. And it was insurmountable. It was actually no way he was going to be able to pay it. And so as he came to him, he began to settle that debt. He owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had, and the payment was made. And the servant fell on his knees, and he begged him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Right. Sure. How, how in the world is he going to get 20 years' worth of wages? But out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt because he knew he couldn't pay it. But do you remember what happened next? He, he walked out from having been released. The same servant, when he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, let's see if we can translate that. We only have to go like a chapter or two later to understand that a denarii would be a daily wage. So he found someone who owed him 100 days wages. Okay, but last time I 
tried to calculate that 365 days a year, you know, 20 years. I mean, it's still, still pretty short on, on what was owed. And so you would think that since he had just been forgiven a big debt, he would respond, but he didn't. He seized him. He began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. And his fellow servants watched him and pleaded with him, have patience with me. And he said, I'll pay you later. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he could pay his debt. Now, when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master what had taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? I had mercy on you, and in anger the master delivered him to the jailers until his debt could be paid. Okay, I get the picture. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I think we see the correlation, don't we? There's a direct correlation between God forgiving us and us forgiving other. And the expectation is there as to how this is supposed to work. So turn over the page and let's talk for a minute about God's forgiveness. How does God forgive? We go to God and we ask him to forgive us. And he goes, um, okay, I'll try my best to forget about that. No, no. Because God cannot forget. He knows everything. So what does he do when we ask him to forgive us? How does this forgiveness exchange take place? When we ask God, I, I, I was talking with Johnny this week about it. We were talking about children apologizing and, and what he's, what he, you know, I can't imagine it, but with, with four kids in the house, maybe sometimes they do things they shouldn't do and have to ask each other, tell each other they're sorry and ask for forgiveness. And he, he said it's been, it's been very interesting and educating to watch how all these things take place and how you struggle with that. You can picture children, I'm sorry. No, you're not. Yes, I am. I'm sorry. Well, forgive me. Well, no, I won't. I mean, you, can, you can get it there. But what about with us? I, what does God do when we say, will you forgive me? Well, commentary on that is going to be over in Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we read the scripture says that, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's that idea of harmatia, of missing the mark, coming short. All of us have. If there's anyone in here today who has not sinned, then you can just tune me out for a few minutes. But if you say you've not sinned, the scripture says you tell God he's lying because God has said we've all sinned. Now, what do we want to do? We want to compare ourselves to, well, at least I'm not like that guy, you know, at least, at least I haven't killed anybody, at least I haven't robbed a bank, okay? All right, that's, that's not how we compare. We compare ourselves to God, and compared to God, we have all sinned, and we all come up short, so what does God say about how he deals with our sin? In Romans chapter 3, after declaring we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, 
and we're justified by grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What we're going to see in these next few verses is that God paid our debt on the cross. Old song, he paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. Good theology, okay? He had no debt. I had a debt. I could not pay it. And he paid it for me. And I receive this forgiveness as a gift. When he paid it for me, he offers it to me as forgiveness. Now, here in Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says, God put forward as the propitiation by the blood to be received by faith. Now, I don't know why modern translations don't use words that we understand. I guess it was just such a hard, hard word to figure out how to translate. But I dare say that in the entire year since January 1st, you have not used the word propitiation in your normal conversations with anybody else, okay? What does the word mean? Well, it means satisfaction, but it means so much more. It means appeasement, but we don't like that word because to appease sounds childlike, like somebody, you know, needed to be uh, paid off. And so, okay, I'll accept your payment. And so we really struggle to find a word that helps us own what it meant that Jesus, when he died, his blood was the satisfaction of the righteousness required by God when he paid our debt for us. The translation back in the Old Testament brought forward into the New Testament the word mercy seat. Does that ring a bell to anybody? If you've ever studied the Old Testament tabernacle and God said that they were to put the mercy seat there at the ark and they were to take the blood of the sacrifice and they were to come in and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and I will meet you there, God said. The meeting place between us and God is the satisfaction of Jesus' blood being counted as acceptable for the payment of our sin that we could not make. And so the deep things of God written here in the book of Romans tell us that God made a way for all of us who have sinned by the sacrifice of Christ and the acceptability of his sacrifice that God would meet us and forgive us. But it goes on. I love the picture of the timeline that it paints here. I'm a marker board kind of learner, and I, I sure see, I see a marker board picture here. It says, God put forward as a propitiation in his blood received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Listen, we think, how does God forgive? Mm, he tries to forget it. No, no, no. That's not how God forgives. It's explained here. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness in this present time. So this is how it works. Back in the Old Testament, when God saw the sacrifice of the animals, 
That's not what satisfied his heart as the payment for sin. But when he saw the satisfaction of that animal being slain, he looked forward and he could see the cross. And because he could see the cross, in his forbearance, he would pass over those sins previously committed because at this time on the cross, he saw what was being illustrated there. Oh, speaking of that illustration, do you remember that there were two animals in that Day of Atonement? One animal that was slain and the blood was taken in. What happened to the other animal? They laid their hands on his head and they sent him out, right? At least some of you are of a generation that when I say the word scapegoat, you know what I mean, okay? It means that you could at least blame somebody and them take the blame so others could go free. And that scapegoat of that picture of the Old Testament sacrifice was reminding us that God would pay the debt and he would send away the separation that sin had caused because he forgave them. And here in Romans it says God passed over the sins previously committed so that at this time he might be, catch this, just and justifier of those who believe. That God might be still holy. He doesn't say, hmm, I'll try to forget your sin. No, he goes, sin, I'll put it on this account. And whose account is that? Jesus. What he did pays for our sin. So how does God forgive us? He forgives us because he sees the debt paid on the cross and we receive that forgiveness as a gift. So if the process is that God's forgiving us and then we are forgiving others, let's see if we can deal with some things that are wrongly thought when it comes to forgiving others. Here's some misunderstandings of forgiving others. Now, if there are any English teachers in the house, I want to tell you ahead of time, there's going to be some double negatives in here, all right? Because I couldn't figure out a way to say it without a double negative. But you, you can un-double negative it, and you can, you can make it work, all right? But I want to tell you, it's not, it's not, it is, okay? So let's look at what it's not. Forgiving others is not saying that what was wrong is all right. That's not what it is. Sometimes people say, well, you've got to forgive but it was wrong. I agree. It was wrong. So forgiving is not saying, that's all right. God didn't forgive that way. If God forgave that way, there'd be no cross. It's not saying that what was wrong is all right. I first wrote this down as all right, and then I decided I need to look up, is all right a word? And at least what I discovered online, and you know it's got to be true if it's online, what I discovered online was that all right is slang and it's not really a word, okay? You, you got to go ahead and make it two words, even though you say all right all the time and you leave out one of the L's, okay? So it is not all right when we forgive. Forgiving others is not saying that wrong doesn't deserve justice. There's a double negative. If it's wrong, it deserves to be made right. And so many times somebody tells you you've got to forgive and, and in your heart you're going, but it's wrong. 
Okay, it's wrong. But it, it needs to be made right. Yeah. But that's not what forgiveness is saying. Forgiveness is not saying that wrong has no consequence. Someone can, I mean, you've probably seen it. It's a, it's a courtroom and somebody's been judged and found guilty. And the family comes and in this incredible way, they stand up and say, I forgive you. And the judge is sitting there going, hmm, okay then. I guess you don't have to go to jail. No, that's not how it works. There's still the consequence of what went wrong. And even in our own lives, when God forgives us, many times we still have to find great grace to walk through those consequences. Are you with me? We're, we, we're, looking, we're turning it this way, and then we're turning it that way. Forgiveness is not saying that what was wrong is all right. What was wrong doesn't deserve to be made right. It's not saying what was wrong has no consequence. What is forgiveness? Humanly speaking, it's releasing my right to make it right. I'm saying, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I could never have enough. It says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. There's no way my enforcing this, collecting this, is going to make it right. Please, as you struggle with deep needs of forgiveness, don't make some of these fatal errors of misunderstanding what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is you releasing, turning them over to God. Now, there's been times I've turned stuff over to God, and I said, God, if I were you, I'd kill him. You know what I mean? And that's not right, okay? That's not what he's talking about. It's not that prayer of the psalmist who, who is saying, you know, wipe them out, Lord, you know? So, why is forgiveness so important? Let me give you some warnings about unforgiveness. And speaking of a need for forgiveness, I'm going to need some forgiveness from the people working with children this morning, but uh, you, you can help me with that, okay, <laughs> because we're, go, we're running a little bit long here. Are, are you ready? Let's look at these warnings. Quickly, you, you've got the scripture. You can take it home with you and, and dig deeper. One of the things that's a warning about unforgiveness is found in 2 Corinthians. Paul had told them in his first letter that they needed to put this guy out because he was living in very flagrant, open, public sin. And he said, you guys have to deal with it. You can't just pretend it's okay. Deal with it. So they dealt with it. And in 2 Corinthians, it appears that same guy has repented, and now he's saying, okay, if he's genuinely repented, you don't have to apologize to me for forgiving him. I mean, if you forgive him, I forgive him. So he's, he's talking about their forgiveness. But listen to what he says. He says, for we are not ignorant of the schemes of the devil. And every time I read that, I go, oh, yes, we are. We are excessively ignorant of the devil and his schemes. You know what the devil would like to do to you? He would like to find a way to bury deep in your heart an unforgiving spirit because he knows that one thing will shut down the life flow of God in and through you. The schemes of the devil, lack of forgiveness is a scheme of the devil. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, be careful that you don't fail to, to respond to the grace of God. And this is how that works. When, when somebody wrongs you, God offers you grace. This is why it's so important that we not pick up other people's offenses. Because when somebody is wrong, God gives you grace to restore it. But when you're standing over here and you go, man, that is so wrong. I just, you know, you're, be careful about taking up somebody else's wrong because of what it might do to you when they get over it and you can't, right? But Hebrews warns you. It says, be careful not to come short of the grace of God that God's offering you in a, in a broken situation. Because if you shut down that life flow, a root of bitterness will spring up in you and many will be defiled. A root of bitterness that's going to bear the fruit of bitterness that's going to become a problem and you even enjoying your relationship with God. And I just want to give you another, just a very practical application. People don't like to hang out with bitter people. And, and you'll wonder where all your friends went. Uh, you, you ran them off because they just couldn't stand that poison that was in you all the time. So here's some of the warnings. Be careful about the schemes of the devil. Be careful about the roots of, of bitterness. Be careful that you don't give opportunity to the devil. In Ephesians chapter 4, you, get, you have this list of do this, don't do that, here's why. And, and we find a, a warning there. To be angry and sin not. It, it's, it's not that it's, you shouldn't be angry about it. Remember we said that a minute ago. It, it's, you say that deserves to be made right. But what's the sin is when you demand your right to make it right. And listen to how Paul applies that. He says, because you will give opportunity to the devil. In the Greek word, it's the word topos, where we get our word for topography. It means you give the devil a place to stand in your heart when you don't forgive. We have to struggle with it. And then 1 Peter as 1 Peter makes this list of, of things that we're to put away, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2. Put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Why do we need to put those things away? Because the next verse says, and like a newborn infant, long for the pure spiritual milk. I don't know when it's happening, Johnny and Carrie, 2, 3, whatever time in the morning. You know, that little girl says she wants to eat. She wants to eat, all right? She's going to cry for it. She's going to demand it. Do you remember when you first became a follower of Christ and you just couldn't get enough preaching, couldn't get enough teaching, couldn't get enough Bible study, couldn't get enough being around people that wanted to talk about God, but something happened? What, what happened? Well, maybe you started taking the things of God casually or maybe you started giving a place in your heart for envy and malice and deceit and hypocrisy and an unforgiving spirit it will happen you will be hindered from your hunger for God's word if unforgiveness finds a welcome place in your heart so now let's put it into practice how do we land today? The scripture says that when the spirit comes, he will convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Conviction is not limited to when you first become a Christian. 
conviction is a part of a daily relationship with God. When you look in his face and you realize something's wrong and you say, Father, what's wrong? And you say, did you see how you treated that person? I saw a cartoon once that said, you know, if you're a parent of one child, you're not really a not really a parent because if something's broken, you know who did it, right, you know? And then if you're a parent of just two children, then you've got them one-on-one, and you, you know, it's when they get you outnumbered that, you, that the challenge of parenting comes. And we, we find ourselves, though as parents, at times having to go sit down with one child and say, look, you can't treat her that way. She's my daughter too. And we come to the Father and he says, you can't treat him that way. You can't treat her that way. Just because you're my child, don't think you can abuse that one. And so this morning, maybe you walked in here minding your own business and now the word of God's just grabbed you and said, you have to forgive I'm not asking you to say it was all right. I'm not asking you to say it doesn't deserve to be made right. I'm not asking you to say there's no consequence. I am asking you, would you be willing to say, Father, like that servant, you've forgiven me so much. Would you give me a forgiving spirit to the one who is indebted to me, who crossed the line with me, That could be an act of your worship today. Every day, we preach the gospel to ourselves. And we say, oh, Father, you're in heaven. You're eternal. Your name is holy. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done in my life. And I pray today, Lord, that you would make me grateful for the daily things you're giving me. And, oh, Father, forgive me. And help me forgive others as you are forgiving me. Would you pray with me now? Father, we open our lives to your word and we pray a simple prayer. Speak to my heart. Lord, in some cases you're speaking so pointedly, bringing up things that need to be handed back to you. So I pray today for my brothers, my sisters who know you, who have been wronged and who struggle to forgive. I pray that you'd pour out great grace in and through them. Not that it wasn't wrong, but that they need to release it to you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day they would understand why the cross was required because there was a debt there was a trespass there was a sin that we could not pay and so you in your kindness passed over those sins in the past and saw Jesus dying so today you have no problem looking back to the cross and seeing that he paid a debt he did not owe And we owe a debt we cannot pay. So, Father, would you forgive me because of Jesus? 
Lord, teach us daily how to lift our eyes to you and pray a prayer like this prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And remember, we've been forgiven much so we can forgive much. And when our hearts grow cold and we lose sight of the cross, we thank you that you tenderly bring us back to let us see that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to your mercy that you save us. We welcome your word into our life. May the roots go deep where there be much fruit.